Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In his first two starts, he gave up 14 runs in nine and two thirds. Yeah, he, he blowed up real good. Not like they're going to run into the very best teams in the league as soon as they get in the playoffs. You know, the kind they haven't beat all year. <laughs> <laughs> This is kind of the first year where they, under the new collective bargaining agreement, where they've changed the the, the bonus slots, and the Jays don't have a second round pick because they signed Chris. And welcome to episode number two hundred and seventy-four of Artificial Turf Wars, where our listeners are the all stars, our regular listeners, every single one of them. Yeah, that's you. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined uh, by the effervescent Joshua Hausam. How you doing, Josh? I'm good. You've used that one a few times now. Uh, effusive? Effervescent? Uh, effervescent, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, you're a bubbly guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not complaining about the usage. I'm just noting. Alec Manoa. He's back, baby. Man, do we know nothing about nothing? We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Jose Barrios is back also to being La Maquina, uh, the machine. Um, then we're going to talk about the fact that, uh, the offensive machine might have come to life versus AL central pitching, pitching, who knows? Um, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, well, I mean, generally we're going to talk about the offense, but also Hyunjin Ryu is tracking, tracking, uh, towards a, uh, return. Um, and then there of course is a, a roster situation. If Ryu and Manoa uh, are all available at the same time with Chad Green as well. Um, we're going to talk about the all-star selections uh, of the Blue Jays, and we have some questions from you guys. I think that about takes us there. Um, yeah, I think like eight or nine days ago, you and I said, wow, we just cannot put a number of days when Alec Manoa might be back. And apparently that number of days was like, like nine, nine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've learned is we cannot uh, uh, count or predict the future. Good, good for us. Yeah, and I think it's actually a good lesson for us. And I noticed a lot of people when the Jays announced that he was coming back, 
saying it was a bad decision. How could they know? Like, that, that's the thing. Like, we obviously don't know. They don't know. The idea of calling it a bad decision would be equally as wrong as calling it a good decision because there's just no way to understand exactly what they wanted him to work on, what they were seeing from what they were asking, and whether Manoa was looking like he was able to do it. All, all people were seeing was stat lines in both the Florida Complex League and in, was it double A? Yeah. And, yeah, you know, like, obviously the Jays saw something they needed to see and they thought he was ready to come back because they easily could have waited with off days coming out of the all-star break and they could have done with one more bullpen day going into it, especially against the Tigers. But yeah, they thought that he hit some benchmarks and then obviously he came back and was very good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I was one of those people. I'm, I'm happy to be uh, to admit that I'm, I'm someone who would love to be able to analyze things with not nearly enough information. <laughs> um, I am kind of curious what it was, you know, what, what, what would it have been that would have kept him down longer and what, what exactly it was that made he, meant he was back, right? Is, is, it, is it a hard line or is it just someone's judgment call, right? Is there a, a specific metric they're using or is it a more sort of human uh, ingredient kind of thing? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that. <clears throat> they talked about needing to see some things. Uh, I did notice that he looked like he was using his back leg a little bit better. He's still standing very tall in his leg lift, which he was not last year. He was a little more bent with his knee, but he gets down on his knee quickly a lot better. So he looked more athletic, essentially. Like he looked like he was using his legs more in his windup. And obviously the results were good, but it was the Tigers, you know, like one of the worst hitting teams in the league. But you know it worked. Yeah, but well, someone else said not not every every starter keeps the Tigers to one run or strikes out eight of them without walking any. So um, you know, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a, it is a, a data point um, at the very least that's that's in the in the good column. Uh, it's it's not the only data point we need. Uh, <laughs> next time he faces someone, I think there's going to be just as much pressure to see if he uh has righted the ship if does the slider have enough bite can he avoid the walks because that was that was becoming more and more of a problem before he went uh and got got demoted was the control was getting uh worse and worse and that was multiplying a bunch of the other problems he had so eight strikeouts and no walks last uh last start i i think is one of the stat line things that you might be able to use as evidence that he was at least not afraid to stay in the strike zone and able to stay in the strike zone. Yeah. And, and one of the things that was a big problem for him that I think we talked about, excuse me, previously on the show when he was still in the big leagues was that he's, his misses were not competitive misses. They, they just weren't close. So he couldn't even get chases. Uh, he still had a few of those in that ga in the game. Again, we're going to Saturday, so the day after Manoa's start. He still had a few of those in that game where they were just nowhere close to the strike zone. But most of them were. Even his pitches out of the zone were on the edges. And that's where Manoa is so successful. So good signs, at least. I'm not ready to proclaim that he's back. But as you said, he didn't walk anyone. He got some strikeouts. He looked like he was throwing a little bit harder. So take what you can get. So it's definitely progress. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, the rest of the rotation, uh, 
has been, I, I think, as expected, although as expected for Jose Barrios has been has been rapidly getting, uh, we've, we keep raising the bar on Barrios every time he has a go around. It's getting clearer and clearer that Jose Barrios is exactly the guy they gave that long contract to. He's back. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Manoa, where we're saying it's progress, Barrios is Barrios again. And he's having, actually, statistically, one of his best seasons of his, of his career. And that's after starting it horribly. You know, When he came out in the season, I don't know if people really remember, considering he's been good for so long. In his first two starts, he gave up 14 runs in nine and two-thirds. <laughs> Yeah, he he blowed up real good. Yeah, since that time, he has given up 30 earned runs in 98 innings. 31 runs, 30 earned. Which is a 2.75 ERA. And he's doing it by keeping the ball in the strike zone. He's not walking very many people. He's getting some strikeouts. He's giving up still a decent number of home runs, but not a crazy amount. He's not using Kikuchi, for example. Yeah, um, it, it is amazing the contrast that continues to develop between last year and this year. Like it, it, it just working, everything is working, and it, it continues to to you know hone in on all of the things that are working and 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 not have any major slip ups. Yes, he allows, like you said, some runs, but uh, this is a guy who you in this your current iteration, I'd I'd let him start uh, a playoff game in a heartbeat. <laughs> Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's interesting what he's doing, too. So part of his success against righties, for example, he's throwing fewer four seam fastballs than he's ever thrown in his career. Uh, he's up to sinker usage and he's throwing more changeups against righties than he's ever thrown in his career. And that's that changeup has really been the pitch featuring that pitch that has brought him back to. It's funny. It's brought him back to the statistical level we're used to seeing, but actually this is the first time in his career he's thrown differently. <laughs> he's throwing more change-ups than ever against both righties and lefties and throwing fewer four-seamers than he has on every year except 2020, which just straight up doesn't count. So, I don't know. It's funny how to talk about a guy that, you know, we all think is just like the model of consistency who is actually doing something tangibly different but it's also nice to see something like that because it means that this is a guy that, despite his prolonged success, looked at last year and thought, I need to make an adjustment, even though this has always worked. And his adjustment is working. Yeah, and I think it might reflect on some of the things that people were saying even at the beginning of this year, which was the league has figured out Jose Barrios's shtick, right? They, they are able to predict what he's going to do. So the quality of his pitches may not have gone down, but the... The predictability of his pitches has gone up. And that's a problem because he's not throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour. Um, the fact that he has, that he's able to change the mix and has enough quality pitches to do that and and thus become more effective because he's, he's now disrupting what the hitters are expecting again differently uh, is a credit, like you said, is a credit to the adjustment he's made. Uh, some guys don't. It's also a credit to his talent, right? Some guys don't have another pitch to go to. If if people figured out how to spot uh, Kevin Gaussman's splitter, how good do you think he'd be? Right. It's funny as you said that he just gave up, you know, some runs. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just a credit to Brios. I mean, that's that's all, all we can really say to it is he he found what people were doing and he counteracted it. So good for him.
Yeah. Um, now we got to talk about the offense, which if we were, if, if we recorded every four days, Josh, we would have like a weird sort of uh, whiplash effect talking about the offense, but we record a little, a little wider out than that. This team went through a, uh, almost season long stretch of only very sporadically getting its groove on offensively. And we saw that, uh, against the Boston Red Sox where they got unceremoniously swept at home. Um, and the first couple of games against the White Sox included nine innings with one hit and 13 strikeouts. Uh, or was it 10 innings? Did they even get a hit in the 10th? I don't know. Yeah, I think they got a hit in the 10th. And then the 11th inning made no sense whatsoever. Like, Six singles and a double or something to put up a six spot on on the Chicago bullpen. And they are all like it. I'm reading game day. Ground ball single. Ground ball single. Ground ball single. I'm like, yeah, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be able to have a seeing eye everything all in one inning. For, yeah, like six batters in a row. Um, oh, there was an out in there somewhere. And even in the game before that, they won four to three. And that took a two run home run from Vlad in the eighth. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, they were losing that game going into the top of the eighth inning. Thankfully, Joe Keldy exists and <laughs> the Jays were able to take a lead. And then, in the, you know, in the, in the do- second game of the doubleheader, they scored five, which was a little more spaced out. That was the first time we've seen them in a while actually have a game, an offensive game where it's not a bunch of runs at once and then nothing else. Of course, the crazy part about that game is uh, due to a combination of running into outs on the bases and hitting into double plays, those five runs came on 16 hits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he definitely was... <laughs> Suboptimal. Was not... Like, that's not efficient. <laughs> uh, because the next game they scored, they put up 12 spot on what, like 14 hits? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, go ahead. We, we go, go back. Uh, it might have been go 16. Back. Yeah, yeah. Go go back to the five the five four game again. That was a, that was a tightly contested game. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth there. You say Kikuchi gave up all four of those runs in five. Um, so that was another game where the bullpen was being asked again to hold the line for an offense that was really struggling to find a way to you know to put together a crooked or put up a crooked number. Yeah, I mean, that game that was 5-4, the Jays had an inning, as you mentioned, like, you know, all the, all the base runners, they had an inning that went double, home run, single, single, and they scored one run. They had, they had a double, two singles, and a home run in an inning and scored once. Yeah. And that's that's a combination of the Jays just sequencing being horribly li- unlucky. I mean, there is a big luck element to that. You should not get that many hits and not score. But there's also the base running, as you said, like Chapman getting thrown on at third on that shallow fly ball from Varsho with one out. And I guess the idea is like try to get to third with, sorry, that was the first out, the fly ball. Um, and then he was thrown out for the second out. The idea, I guess, trying to get to third with one out, but, you know, he replay made it look like he may have been safe, but it's just a, a, they take, the Jays take a lot of risks that, don't pay off so 
like it does what, limit their whatever scoring. happened at the end of the Boston game that was seven six with Bo coming home into a out out by ten feet dead at the plate, uh, two out you know run home. I I don't, and and then nobody being really upset about that on the team. It didn't sound like. Like, what's your take on on the send or lack of send or lack of signal from Luis Rivera at this point? Well. I didn't actually see when the stop sign went up. Uh, from my understanding is basically he threw up a stop sign really late. So Bichette kind of slowed down when he either just needs to go or not. But it's hard to blame Bichette when he hears stop and it's like your instinct is maybe to stop. I, I The idea of sending him there with, you know, Verdugo has a very good arm. But it's also the tying run with two outs on a single. The idea, you probably do want to send that guy in general if it's going to be even close. But because Bichette slowed, it wasn't. And he was out by 10 feet. So, I don't know. There was a, there was a mistake of some kind there. And it obviously was not how you want a series to end. No. And I, I think the other thing that kind of is an unfortunate factor that we talk about every once in a while is Vlad hit that ball, even to the opposite field, very hard. <laughs> Which cuts a second or two off of, you know, that window of, of decision-making for whether or not Bo is going to be able to make it. Um, I don't know. I've, I've never been actually a big fan of Luis Rivera, or maybe I'm just not a big fan of third-base coaches in general, because they, 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 they only show up when they've made the wrong call, right? I mean, that's, that's definitely true. You can, I mean... Sometimes you do notice a good send in a sense like you're watching a play and you're thinking that it's like, oh, that could be tough. And then the guy sends him and he's safe by more than you'd expect. But Rivera definitely seems to have more of the what the heck was he doing? I mean, look, we don't watch enough of other teams to know if that's unusually high or low, but he has enough of them that are. Wow, like that was guy wasn't even close. That it's like the guy where the guy's out by 10, 15 feet, where it's just like, man, are you really reading it that poorly? Like, what's <laughs> happening right now? Yeah. Well, where are you standing? And what, what, what are you using to judge? You know, is it a certain kind of play or a certain, uh, you know, distance you're not judging or a, a certain outfielder who you don't know well or that kind of thing? Like, there's, 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 seems like a lack of good information coming uh, at sometimes the worst times. Again, that's that's the end of a series. You literally ran into the last out. I was just like, how, how can I not be throwing my hands up in the air at this point? Um, yeah. yeah, and then, okay, so then we come back to the, the Tiger series, the 5-4 game. They, uh, sorry, the Chicago two. series, 5-4 five, five, yeah, yeah. game. They managed to, you know, get it right. Now against, uh, and then last game, 12-2. to two. Uh, They got... They got a position player pitching by the end of the game. Is this the same team? Or is this just, just a... Okay, does the amount of pulled home runs make you happy? It's certainly a good sign. I mean, obviously, the start of the next game came out, and they had first and second, nobody out, and then first and third and one out in the first inning and didn't score. So <laughs> there's still some of those same problems that are existing. But you know, one the great thing about that game, also aside from the pulled home runs, which <laughs> Whit Merrifield three home runs in two games. Well, he's an all star. He just remembered that he's an all star. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so 
the Jays had an inning where they had bases loaded, nobody out. And a lot of times this season, the Jays would get bases loaded, nobody out, and score one. Or zero. I mean, zero has definitely happened, but one. They scored six. And there just hasn't been enough of that, where you have a pitcher on the ropes, and he li- and, and they just let them limit the damage. It'll be a pop fly and then a double play or, or, or something, right? A sack fly and then a double play. And instead, they just kept piling on a pitcher who was struggling. And it was nice to see it, especially culminating with the Springer home run. I, I, obviously, it's look, it's they've been hitting a little better the last 20, you know, 32 hours, 36 hours. <laughs> but uh, we do need to see more of it against also not the AL Central. Because Lance yeah. Lynn completely shut them down, right? Like, it's, it's not like you know, the, the only good pitchers they faced were Giolito and Lynn, and both of them shut them down. And then other than that, they beat up on the pitchers who are the reasons that these teams are the, you know, they're terrible. Yeah, so, I mean, credit to winning the games, you have to win. Uh-huh. But you also have to, you have to do something like that to the teams in the AL East. And, you know, the, the, there are going to be more games against New York and Baltimore, and I'm assuming Tampa Bay. Uh... I don't think this team necessarily has an answer for, for that right now um, as, as currently composited. Well, as you mentioned, like the pulling the fly balls a bit more is at least a, a good sign. But but yeah, but going back to what I said, right? So against Giolito and Lynn, the only two decent pitchers on, and they're not aces. They're both good, but they're not, it's not like they're facing Shohei Otani or something like that, right? Against those two pitchers, they combined to score two runs in... I think it was 14 innings. And it's just sort of like, okay, yeah, they won. Like, good job. Good job coming back against the the White Sox bullpen and then blowing them out in extra innings in the second one. But they have to start doing damage against decent pitchers, and they're just not regularly doing that. You know, they're, they're beating up on bad pitchers, but they need to start hitting good ones you're not always going to hit the great ones but you need to hit the good ones more often than they do i concur uh and it is only by the grace of a of a pitching staff that has exceeded most of my expectations that we're talking about the blue jays in a playoff spot right now and just just to acknowledge it in third place in the american league east as we record this podcast and second in the wild card crazy yeah, so like you know, we're talking about this offense as though this team is terrible. Obviously, they're not, right? They've done really well outside the American League East, and and as you said, the pitching has been very good. And this team is in a postseason spot. And I guess the bright side of this whole concept is that they're still playing below expectations, right? It's like Vlad is not hitting; he's on the OPS under eight hundred, right? Uh, Springer's OPS is under 800. Kirk's 640. And Varsho, 655. Right? These are guys who all have track records as being considerably better than they've shown. So the fact that they're in a postseason spot despite that does give some hope that maybe one or two of those guys will figure something out in the second half and this team can actually make, you know, make some noise. Yeah. All right, now we get to the the funny part, uh, which is the area where they are looking to actually maybe get some help 
is the area where they don't need as much help. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu and uh, is is still tracking. They're coming back uh, sooner rather than later. Everything has gone well. He hasn't had any setbacks. That's really good because you say Kikuchi is obviously, you know, if, if you put Ryu versus Kikuchi, all other things being equal, I'd like to give Ryu at least a couple shots at, at making starts, right? Well, this is sort of the funny thing because so the Jays have this situation where they've got Ryu coming back. They have Manoa who has just come back. And then you have Gusman, Barrios, Bassett, and Kikuchi. Kikuchi has been good enough that there's a, so there's a there's an emotional element to what the Jays do here because if they send Kikuchi to the pen after all the work he's done to clean up his delivery, simplify or improve his pitch mix and throw more strikes. I mean, you so so in that game against the White Sox where Kikuchi got hit around, no walks. Right? He has turned himself into a much better strike throwing pitcher. He's only got 27 walks in 93 innings. That's really solid, especially with 96 strikeouts. So to turn that to go to that guy and say, "You know what?" Hey, you've got a 4.24 ERA in the AL East. You're our fifth starter. <laughs> Sorry, dude, you're going to the pen. That might negatively affect Kikuchi. But you can't send Ryu to the pen. <laughs> you can't send no, Manoa to the pen. Well, because Kikuchi stuff does play up in the pen. We saw it last year, not to fantastic effect, but Kikuchi strikes people out and throws pretty hard, which are you know the kind of ingredients you want and no Manoa obviously has never been a reliever and Hyunjin Ryu wouldn't even even if he said yes I'd love to do that the stuff doesn't make any sense in the bullpen right no no it, it definitely doesn't and I mean he has I think pitched in the bullpen in the postseason maybe but anyway the uh the situation then people might think okay let's do a six-man rotation for a little bit you know ease some of the pressure off of some of these other guys but the problem that that creates is that is there are roster limits on how many pitchers you can carry if the jays go to a six-man rotation that means they can only carry seven relievers now right now not a problem seven relievers means okay you can't carry i don't know jay jackson or bowden francis or thomas hatch or one of those guys but what happens when Chad Green comes back? <laughs> what happens when the opportunity to trade for David Robertson or something pops up? The Jays will have to start cutting guys if they go to a six-man rotation. So it's actually, it's quite a conundrum. Obviously, this could all work itself out. Ryu could have a setback. Green could have a setback. Manoa could come out and bomb his next two starts. Or one of the actively healthy, good starters or relievers could get hurt. We always acknowledge that this stuff usually works itself out. But in this scenario, when it comes to the timing with the trade deadline coming up, the Jays really need to figure this out, assuming the guys won't get hurt because this this is, will determine their strategy. Yeah, which is pretty wild. So um, it, it is it is strange to have an embarrassment of pitchers, uh, especially in July where they have used – Again, I'm I'm not trying to jinx it because I just don't have those powers. But they've used six starters all season, have they not? If you include Trevor Richards, or yeah, 
did Richard yeah. start all of the bullpen games? Assuming okay, so maybe seven. But yeah, but as a, <laughs> we've seen them go to like 12, 13 different starters by by August first in different seasons. Where and again, these are not seasons where they were an absolute abysmal team every time. But the fact that things have gone this consistent with the starting rotation is again a credit to the work these guys put in and a bit of luck uh, and the quality of the kind of starts that they have had and the utter lack of depth. But um, that has been going extremely well for the Blue Jays. It's kind of funny that this is the area they have to make decisions in when where they would, I think they'd rather be strategizing is on the offensive side to figure out how they fix that. Well, the thing is there is no strategy. Well, okay. Well, actually this is really funny. They, you say that there are yeah. There's an element of like, what do we do there, right? Because who are you replacing? Who are you upgrading? It's it's incremental, regardless of who you upgrade. You're, you're gonna... But I don't even know if there's an option. Like you're not gonna, they're not gonna get someone to push Varsho to the bench or Kiermaier. They're not gonna get someone to push Chapman to the bench. They're not gonna get someone to push Kirk to the bench. So and then Bichette is hitting well. Belt is hitting well. Vlad is hitting fine. And Springer, again, another guy that's not going to the bench. So where do you upgrade? I mean, the bench itself is really the only area that's obvious. Obviously, if you could get a star second baseman, moving Merrifield to the bench would be fine. But there just doesn't seem to be a clear upgrade to the starting lineup, which is problematic. Now, if they can actually address the bench and instead of having to pinch hit with Santiago Espinal, Ernie Clement or Kevin Biggio, then maybe they could look at a late game situation. Here comes Kevin Kiermaier. Well, how about we go send out a guy who can mash and then we'll move Varsho to center, right? Whereas right now it's just like, well, let's just send up Kiermaier because otherwise it's Kevin Biggio. Yeah. But, it's but tough. That, that, you know, upgrading the bench is obviously uh, very different than upgrading, you know, the, the offense. Yeah. Like swapping out Dalton Varsho for a guy with a seven. 80 OPS at the moment. I know potentially Varsho has that, but right now he doesn't. Swapping out Dalton Varsho with a guy whose OPS is 100 points higher in the trade seems like the kind of upgrade you want to make. Uh, but in the process of that trade, you, you're probably going to have to give up a major league asset. Now you're kind of back where you started. Also, it's worth mentioning that this is a guy that's... He's like third in de defensive run saves among center fielders. And he plays 90% of his games in left. I mean... It's an elite defensive outfielder, and it's it changes the dynamic of what's been working so well if you take him out of the lineup. So, and again, a guy who should hit better than he has. So I just don't see how you could even get that guy. Yeah, it, it, because you're not able to rebuild the team as a concept like they did in the offseason, because you're just trying to tweak something here at the trade deadline, it, it, is, a, it is a much more difficult spot to point to what is going to uh what is worth changing to make it better <sighs> but hey they're in a playoff spot who needs that right it's just, it's not like they're going to run into the very best teams in the league as soon as they get in the playoffs you know the kind they haven't beat all year <laughs> <laughs> uh. no anyway this is so <laughs> but just to sum all this up because we've been talking about you now the deadline is not for three weeks so again, some things could change in that interim. I mean, one of these guys could break out, right? Like they've, all those hitters that I just mentioned that are underperforming, one of them could be 
you know what? I'm going to start returning to my norm and just start raking. I mean, Varsho in the second half has done this two years in a row, so maybe he starts. But this will be the most interesting deadline because it's not easy to see. For example, last year, yeah, they needed a second baseman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then they went and got Whit Merrifield, and they needed a, they needed bullpen, second base, and starting pitching. They got White, Pop, Bass, the homophobe Anthony Bass, White, Pop, the homophobe <laughs> Anthony Bass, and Whit Merrifield. Right, the, the easy spots. Whereas this year, it's just not so easy, <laughs> other than the bench. Yeah. Uh, we will stay tuned. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to stay tuned. After this short break, we're going to come back with a couple of questions from our favorite people in the entire world, our listeners. We'll be right back. Mama, I'm coming home. You took me in you drove me out. Yeah, you had me. And we're back and uh, happier than ever to just to just be here <laughs> in, in podcast land doing podcast things. Uh, but primarily, this is the part where I play this uh, question stinger like so. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And then we go and look at Twitter. Now, I don't know how much longer we're going to be looking at Twitter for questions, because apparently there's some competition out there. But never mind. We're not there yet. We're not on threads or blue sky or whatever. Yeah, we we're not only... here to advertise for social media companies at the moment. We're only on Twitter. And Kate yeah. at OK Stan has found us on Twitter and asked, are the Blue Jays permanently fixed now? Well, yeah, let's think about that. <laughs> well, I think we spent the entire first half of this <laughs> podcast saying no. Um, I mean, it just hopefully they turn some corners. I mean, the all-star break should help them. I think just get out of their heads a little bit and Vlad going to the Derby and just mashing pole side homers like that might be something. Maybe he'll remember how good it feels. How good it feels to just step yeah. into one and yank it out into left field and just watch the ball soar. Maybe, maybe he's just, you know, maybe, like you said, got into his head a bit with, with how, how, you know, he wants to spread the ball around the infield, uh, outfield. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he ends up spreading maybe. it around the infield sometimes, and we'll, we'll, maybe you shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> Michael Halfling at Hayfling uh, says, Alec Manoa pitched well after the shaky first, but it was also against the Tigers. With the All-Star break and the off day, he doesn't need to pitch until the second game in the Seattle series. Should he be sent down for a little more conditioning until he is needed in Seattle? So the answer to this, if we were playing a video game, would be yes. But you listen to Manoa talk and getting sent down crushed him. He he felt and he even made comments about he felt he'd earned uh, almost like he'd earned the right to work it out in the big leagues. He didn't say it that way, but it almost felt like he thought that when he was first sent down. He like when he this was comments he made after his start yesterday yes. and on Friday um, that he was at the time thinking these things. Now, if he doesn't seem like he thought those things now, but if he comes out, throws six one run innings with eight strikeouts and no walks after doing work you asked him to do and then you say, hey, good job. You're going right back down. That's not going well. And it's it's a kind of thing, especially with a guy who uses his emotions the way Manoa does, you just can't do it. You can't. Yeah, I, I think um, 
the mental makeup of a professional athlete in general is different enough from the regular population that it has to be has to be factored into the things that happen on the field every time not that you can predict it but you have to as a as a management uh, team as a front office as an organization you have to treat your players like people uh with specific different approaches mentally to the game rather than as assets that you can point here and point there um which well, is basically what I said yeah. about Kikuchi in the first part, right? The idea of moving him to the bullpen. It, it's harder than just saying, go do this. Yeah, I'm just saying, so to go back to Kikuchi, because he was put in the bullpen last year, and because I think we have seen roster He didn't play, want to do that, though. Even seen, last year, he, okay. he didn't want to. He said he would rather go to the minors and work as a starter than go into the bullpen. So when he comes back and he's pitching well as a starter... To then be saying, okay, go to the bullpen. I think he's, I, this is why, like, I don't know, right? But I could yeah. just see it being an issue. Yeah, and I, I think the only sort of the exception to that is potentially you could say to him, hey, Ross Stripling and Trevor Richards over the past couple of years have been in a situation where we needed them to do things that they weren't necessarily thinking about at the beginning of the season to make this a better team. And... You know, yeah, I'm not saying they can't sell it. I'm just saying that it could affect someone's willingness to do certain things for you in the future, right? Because those guys were relievers. Yeah. Right? I, Kikuchi is not. So back to Manoa, I think it's, I don't think there is a sell to Manoa to say, oh, we really need you to take one start in the minors to be better when you come back. Because he's just going to, like, if I was him, I'd be like, I'm well, already I, I totally better. agree. Yeah. There's just no sell to Manoa there. Like, there's not, there's not even an argument for that one. Exactly. Which answers the question. Uh, Jarrett S at JRod19 says, are there any potential solutions to these base running issues? I, I can guess after <laughs> sometimes after which game people come up with a question. Um, sometimes it's not even aggression, just being careless. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier got thrown out stealing third before I read that question. Um, so yeah. Is there a solution? Kiermaier did? Uh, was it Kiermaier? Or no, or Merrifield. Merrifield. Merrifield he got, got picked off. Out. He didn't get thrown out oh. stealing. <clears throat> it but no, that, that question was asked before Maryfield did it. Oh, but before I, I read it, before I read yeah, it, yeah, yeah. No, we I know, already had so like, one. <laughs> this, this, this question was asked, and then it happened again, right? <laughs> uh, it's bad. I, 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 was there a solution to it? Stop running. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good solution because then they're not taking bases they might need to be taking, but it's a consistent, constant problem, and I don't really get it i don't I, you know it's like what merrifield is one of the better base runners in baseball over the last five years so is chapman and he's doing it and kiermeyer right it's like i don't understand why this keeps happening and i don't so i don't have an answer for what you would do about it but it's been happening a lot I, and I think it's one of those where you go back and you ask a coaching question. Like we've been asking about the 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 offense and the the pull ten or the go the other way tendency all year. Is it like is anybody being held accountable above the players for behavior that should be at least analyzed? So this is I where I, I I have an issue with that a little bit with the hitting. It's if it's a philosophy that's like an approach thing. That's coaching. But with base running, 
you know, guys are thinking they have a have an advantage, right? They're reading a play and they just keep reading it wrong. I I I don't know how you can coach that necessarily. It's just I I I, I don't know, but maybe there needs to be something there, but because it's clear whatever they're doing isn't working. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't. I agree with you though. I don't know what the solution is. I don't, I don't think it's a simple one because I think a simple one would have been implemented by now and we'd, we'd see a lot less of uh, the old toot blan. I haven't heard the term. I haven't seen the term toot blan in print for the Blue Jays lately, which surprises me. For those of uh, those of you who don't remember, it's thrown out on uh, the basis like a nincompoop. Um, <laughs> so those are our questions. Now I, I turn to you, sir, and I ask, do you have a final thought? Yeah, so the Major League Baseball draft will happen between this recording and our next recording because we don't record during the All-Star break because there's absolutely no point to that. <laughs> and the Jays have the 20th pick. It's going to be – it's actually a deep draft, so it'll be interesting to see how the Jays approach this because last year they took a high school pitcher in the first round. The year before that they took – college player i can't actually remember the year before that was but uh it was tiedemann second round anyway they drafted <laughs> which is they had the 20th <laughs> pick in a in a reasonably deep draft and it, this is kind of the first year where they under the new collective bargaining agreement where they've changed the 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 bonus slots and the jays don't have a second round pick because they signed chris bassett so we won't see a lot on day one, but the Jays have a chance to do something interesting. And we'll just have to, we'll, we'll try to talk to someone and get some actual info for on that player for you for next episode. I find the baseball draft is the most mythical of beasts because, um, I, I would, I would have to go back three to four years to figure out if it was, a you know, if all of the things that were said on draft day were actually correct about any player. Like, unless it was the first overall pick like Steven Strasburg was, you know, I, beyond that, it, it always seems like, well, we, we said a lot of very nice things about these young men who are playing baseball. And if any of them come true, will be a complete bloody miracle. <laughs> I think that's overstating the randomness of the draft a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that at the top of the draft, it's like, yeah, everyone is comped to superstars for some stupid reason. But it actually the success of a first round pick becoming a major leaguer and like a regular player has gotten considerably higher over the last few years. So the idea that people will get stars at the top of the draft is probably a little ridiculous to assume, but you want someone who's at least going to be contributing. Well, and that's the thing. No, nobody, nobody comps anybody to Kevin Kiermeyer or to, uh, you know, Danny Jansen. <laughs> Because we wouldn't know what those comps were. Everyone gets comped to Buster Posey or, uh, you know, or uh, Andrew Jones. And it's like, I think that's the part of the discourse that gets confusing is um, that that rarely pays off, but we hear it anyway. And it rarely pays off in the time frame that it's meaningful to people. So that's why it's, it's mystifying me. But again, you're right. There's a chance you're going to get a major league regular out of this. I'm always worried when people talk about picking a first base outfield bat, though, as their first pick in the first round, which is the mock I read today from MLB.com had had um, the Blue Jays picking a first baseman outfielder. And I was like, yeah, that's those guys. 
don't seem to make the majors as regulars because they're already position restricted unless they're incredible hitters. Yeah, you basically you have to mash. If you, if that's where if that's your position out of the draft, you 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 have to hit your way to the big leagues. There's nothing else to carry you there. So the upside is if a guy does go there, guy, you're talking about Nolan Shanwell for the he had like a ridiculous season in college, but that guy does apparently just mash. So we'll see though. I mean, at the 20th pick in the draft, yeah. it's always a the, you you can't mock that deep and be right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, my final thought is congratulations to George Springer, who is on the paternity list. Uh, I feel like this is like the seventh time I've thought about using a paternity list notification as my final thought this year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, the Blue Jays players are in a, in a place where, uh, they feel comfortable, uh, making a, you know, their family bigger and, and bringing kids into the world. And I hope George enjoys his, uh, all-star break with his uh his new child yes and uh, i'll just follow that up jay jackson same thing he came up for the double header and then immediately went on the paternity list <laughs> uh okay. so he and springer and then they've got four guys going to the all-star game too so it's going to be a an enjoyable weekend for the or is it five vlad Bo, Maryfield, gusman right four i think it's just the four yeah Romano should be there. It's insane that he's not in class. A got in there. Romano's stats are better across the board, but anyway, so some, some fun weekends for some blue Jays players, some, some fun time off rather. Yeah. It's about, it's about stars. It's not about justice, Josh. <laughs> Romano's not a star. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, that is to say that, uh, I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010 and you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem. And this has been episode number 274 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you after the All-Star break. Mm-hmm.